My name is Mackenzie Wilkes, social media marketing manager for Writer's Theater and editor of this podcast. Welcome back to The Green Room, a podcast by Writer's Theater, where we take you behind the scenes, bringing you exclusive conversations with some of theater's most exciting artists. This episode, interim artistic director Bobby Kennedy is joined by the stars of our latest world premiere production, Wife of a Salesman by Eleanor Burgess, Kate Fry, and Amanda Drinkle. Kate Fry is a Jeff Award-winning actress who has previously appeared at Writer's Theater in Arcadia, Marjorie Prime, Hedda Gabler, The Letters, O Coward, and A Minister's Wife. She's also appeared elsewhere in Chicago at Court Theater, Northlight Theater, Goodman Theater, Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and Victory Gardens Theater. Her New York and regional credits include appearances at Center Theater Group, McCarter Theater Center, the Repertory Theater of St. Louis, and Lincoln Center Theater. Amanda Drinkall is making her Writer's Theater debut with Wife of a Salesman. She has appeared elsewhere in Chicago at Goodman Theater, Steppenwolf Theater Company, Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Northlight Theater, Victory Gardens Theater, and Windy City Playhouse. Her regional credits include Alliance Theater, Theater Squared, Michigan Shakespeare Festival, and North Carolina Shakespeare Festival. Welcome to the green room, Kate and Amanda. I think as a, a starting point, just to talk you know, personally about careers, everybody is always interested in hearing from us theater people, like what made us interested in a life in the theater? You know, what was the journey that led to you both being professional actors? Whoever wants to go go. first. You dive right in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I did, like many people who are actors now, I did theater in high school and I did it kind of because my older brother and my older sister did it. So I was kind of just following in their footsteps, but then I really liked it. And so senior year before going to college, I was like, Mom, I want to be an actor, so I want to do theater at school. And she was like, absolutely not. (laughs) You can't do that. You won't make any money. And I mean, she was right about that. But but I secretly, I had already planned on going to U of of I in Urbana. And I did my first year as undecided, but then I like secretly auditioned for the theater department without telling my parents. And then I got in. Yeah. And so then when you get in and then you tell them you got into this special school. It's a a really good program. It is. And then, you know, then they're just proud (laughs) that I made it. Smart. So then I kind of snuck my way in that way. That's really Mm -hmm. smart. Your turn. It's just like the play. She's not just a pretty face. (laughs) Obviously, this lady is smart. Mine is Boring. I feel like I've answered this question. It's not, I was not, I didn't have any other skills. I had really supportive parents and I grew up in a community where it was accessible. So I feel like I, I'm a little embarrassed because I feel like I had two advantages that not everybody has. Amanda, you did one um, production at the court before this. Kate, is this your first show post-pandemic? Oh yeah. yeah. What, What have you missed about live theater over the past two years? Oh, I miss the, well, just having something to share at the dinner table is nice, other than like how much I cleaned or read or <laughs> sat sadly on the couch thinking about the world. Yeah, you know? or worried, you know. And um, I missed the camaraderie and, and feeling productive, you know, feeling. And I, I'm just, I'm not objective at all, but I adore this play. I am so in awe of what our playwright is tackling in this play and doing so with such creativity and humor Mm -hmm. um that that i to just to be together in a room with people who were equally excited about it and to do it here at a place where i love and 
uh, was happy to be returning to. All of it, all of it. I missed all of it. It was, it's been great. Yeah, the camaraderie was very real. And yeah. it was, I mean, as actors, I feel like a lot of our camaraderie and our fellowship happens in the rehearsal hall and in a theater with a whole bunch of people in the audience. Even though we don't have a very intimate relationship with an audience, it's still, there's something about being in a huge room full of people and sharing something and not having that for two years was really, I felt deprived. And I actually did another show in Arkansas in May or something of last year. And our my first day in rehearsal, Damon Kiley directed it and he's a Chicago director. And we all stood in a circle and just kind of checked in and, you know, everyone said how they were that day. And I just started bawling. I was oh. like, it is incredible to be in this room with you people and sharing this. And it was one of those things where I think I was surprised by how much suddenly I realized what I'd been missing over the past two years. It was a big surprise. And I, I feel like a lot of the artists I've talked to and friends of mine who are artists have kind of felt that. It comes in waves of realizing, wow, this I have been missing this for so long. So it's really great. Has there, any been, has there been anything that's taken some time to get adjusted to again in doing live performance, you know, after being away? I mean, there was the, the first couple of days in rehearsal, the three of us were like, how do we even do this? Like, it feels like a long time ago that we were in a room with a floor taped out of where the bed was going to be. And how do you cross a stage? How do you stand? What, what do you do with your hands? There were There was kind of a learning curve, not a learning curve, but a remembering curve of, oh, right. No, we know how to do this. We're like yeah. professionals. This is what we've been doing for so long. But there was a weird kind of remembering of that. But as, what about performances? I mean, the sound of applause is a welcome yeah. sound. Yeah. I, I'm with Amanda, the getting used to the rehearsing. and But I feel that way at the beginning of every play. I feel yeah. like I don't, I have no idea. I don't know. It's always an adjustment because when you look back on a experience with a play, you always look back on the whole process. And I think your brain, it's some biological coping mechanism. You forget how awful the first two weeks feel. Yeah. How, how mystified and uncertain you are. And it's like living here in July. You don't quite remember what January feels like. It's true. <laughs> and then January comes back around and you're like, geez Louise, how do I do this every year? To, to switch gears maybe to the, some of the themes that, that go on in the in the play Wife of a Salesman, um, you both have performed in a lot of classical works in, in your careers. Um, have you ever found yourself in a role where you felt the playwright wasn't very interested in your character or women in general? That's a good question. The first thing I'm thinking of is Shakespeare. And it's easy to throw somebody under the bus who is dead <laughs> and has been for 400 years. But, but Shakespeare's women are all awesome. So you can't even throw him under the bus. You go. Uh, no, I, I was just thinking, like, man, I wish I'd had that question ahead of time. Yeah, I'm of sure I'm sure there must have been something. But I will say it's rare to have it be so considered in this yes. process. It's really nice. Also, we're, we're working at a time where 
I mean, I'm older than Amanda, but I've had the good fortune of working with a lot of female directors. And so they're generally pretty great about considering that. I just thought of one. Do it. I mean, I'm not going to name names. But I was in a new play a few years ago where I played a female character. And, oof, she sucked. She was written poorly. She was very kind of two-dimensional surface. And it was like a bigger part. It was like an important role. It's not like I was just a secondary character. I had this an important role in the play. But it did feel like, and the playwright was a man. And I was like, you either don't understand women at all, which is weird because we're, you know, just people. Or you don't care about her storyline. And it was really frustrating. And... But I also, it was also a male director, I, and I definitely did feel less inclined to say anything. I didn't say anything, you know? I just kind of, whatever, went with it. And looking back now, and working on this play with so many, almost the entire des- design team was women. Pr- so much of the production team is women. It's so cool. But I think that kind of bolstered my whatever, whatever that word is I can't think of, that in the future, I think, if that, if I ever find myself in a role like that again, maybe I will say something and say, I'll be able to fight for my character more, I think, after having done this show. Thanks. I know that's a tough, a tough question to just get thrown at. It's something a great that you, question. <laughs> yeah, it's a really <laughs> good I had a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, if something comes to you. But um, what you said, Kate, is something I... I touched on with Eleanor when we did the previous episode of the, the Green Room, uh, asking that question about how rare has it been to, to be on teams with so many women. And she said the same thing you said. In theater, not all that rare anymore. She, she felt film and TV was still making strides in that regard. That yeah. A lot of those rooms that she's in are still very male, mm-hmm. but not so much in theater. So that's interesting to hear. You, you, you all feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. Um, as actors, what do you enjoy about working on a new play with a with a playwright who's still putting words down. Well, I was so enamored with what Eleanor had written, particularly the recent iterations incorporating the whole plug your ears, <laughs> the whole sort of meta layer. Um, the fact that she brings up so many um, really complicated issues and does so with lightning quick speed and wit and humor and depth. I was so excited about it, and and new work can be terrible. (laughs) It can be an awful experience, and because it hasn't been done, you don't know how it works, you don't know where the highs and lows are, you don't know if it, there was no question that the material was good in my mind, but it was challenging at times because we knew we were in the ballpark as far as something working, but there needed to be cuts or additions or rethinking or or moving a section to a different place and mm-hmm. we were getting new things as recently as the sunday before we opened significant changes and yeah. but that's exciting too cuz we felt that because we were in the process early enough and we had also had a workshop week together in november mm-hmm. we're, we were now it's all Eleanor doing the writing. I'm not going to begin to take credit for, <laughs> but we were part of her 
um, process. process. Yeah. And she is incredibly generous about wanting our feedback and our impressions of things. And then a lot of playwrights aren't, and that's okay too. Yeah. But she was very um, forthright. There's something about, you know, when you're doing Shakespeare or whatever, it's, you can cut that to bits and he doesn't care, presumably. But working on a new play, there is something about really being part of it. Some of the conversations we had, we then saw end up in the play. She stitched them in there. And it's like, that's almost exactly what you said to me the other day. Or, And it feels really singular and fascinating to be part of something at such an early stage and also then to see and inhabit something that maybe isn't in the play anymore. Something, you know, pages that we had three weeks ago that aren't in the play, but we still remember them in our bodies and our brains. So whether or not you hear those words, we might still be thinking those things. And so that can inform everything we're doing too, which, you know, when it comes to a play that's been written a hundred years ago, that, uh, that it's not there because you just have what you have. And there's something that is more alive about a play that's literally being written while you're working on it. That is magical. I think something that differentiates Eleanor too is, you know, there's a whole war within feminism, new wave feminism or original feminism. I think sometimes when you have younger women writing about previous generations experience, there might be a lack of empathy or compassion or understanding of the previous experience. And something that really struck me about Eleanor is that I consider her, I don't know how old she is, 30-something feminist. She has enormous compassion and empathy for women who came before her. And also all the intelligence and fire and resources of somebody who's living now as a young woman. I asked her on one of the early days, maybe even the first day of our workshop in November, I noticed in the, I don't know what you call it, an epigram? That's not right. But anyway, there was the beginning of the play was dedicated to L Louise Lowenfish and Joyce Finkel. I might be getting the names that's not right. 100% no, right. right. And I had an idea of who they might be, and she confirmed it when she said they were her grandmothers. And um, that meant a lot to me in terms of her, it's not, it is not a 20-year-old firebrand saying, I know better as a woman in the 21st century. It is somebody recognizing the whole of the experience and seeing the complexity of all of it, which I really appreciate the older I get. I think she was writing from both of these characters' perspectives, and I think that's something really unique to her. A lot of people pay lip service to previous generations, but I think she really walks the walk. What was your familiarity with Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman before you started working on this play? I love, I love it. I love the play. I love Arthur Miller. I think it's a gut punch whether I see it or whether I read it. I saw Bob Falls production when it was in New York. Loved it. I love his other plays that follow similar trajectories, like All My Sons. And um, I'm not, I'm, after the fall and View from the Bridge are more complicated, but 
loved them, but that didn't, that's one of the reasons I like this play. It's not trying to better than, it's just another angle. It's like looking, it's like looking at a big house and seeing a dinner party happen in a dining room and this is something else that's going on in the basement. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not, it's not trying to be instead of at all. At all. It's a completely different world. Yeah. It's, it's completely different. It's different in style and different in flavor. And I mean, it's like way funnier. <laughs> Down the Salesman is like, it's not funny. Oh my gosh, it's so depressing. I I feel differently about Death of a Salesman than Kate, so I'll just uh... that's okay. So that so when you were approaching your characters, the wife and the mistress, you know, it, it was really relying on the play in front of you to bring those to life, and not another play mm -hmm. from a long time ago, right? I notoriously, I shouldn't say this like I'm being recorded, but I will say it. I notoriously like don't do a lot of research or other dramaturgical stuff when I'm doing a play because it, for me, what is helpful is the play that I'm working on. And like in this play, I talk about Lana Turner. And so I looked up Lana Turner because my character is interested in her. So like, well, that is something I, as my character, would know about. But my character doesn't know about Death of a Salesman, so I don't need to. And I don't know that it's I, the same mistress. It's... Oh, I don't think so. I did read Death of a Salesman before we started rehearsal because I felt like I would be behind in the rehearsal room if I didn't. <laughs> but as far as that like outside resources, I really just like, I like to focus on the pages that we have because that is most helpful for me. So what... Um... Focusing on the pages that you have, and then what happens on a new play when, you know, you show up, it's Wednesday, and they're like, new pages. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you take time and go off and spend with them before diving in? Yeah. On that Sunday before we opened, we got a bunch of new pages, and Kate and I were, like, reading them just with ourselves, just laughing at, like, I can't believe we're opening in five days and we have all this new stuff or like in this line only one word is cut how is my brain gonna remember that and it's really amazing what your brain is capable of doing like <laughs> well it's challenging because we had already had a few previews under our belt so our yeah. it was in our bodies too yeah so that was that was hard it was, <laughs> was hard. hard it was hard but it's it's Ama we're amazing, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that that must be it. <laughs> Unprompted, yeah. I hadn't had a chance to check in with you all after that Sunday. It's like I was spending. I think I saw you guys in the lobby. So somebody's birthday, and I was up on my computer, like because I'm looking at all these cuts you're about to get. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a radio in this play that, that plays a lot of role and interrupts quite a bit and delivers all this information. What is it like to kind of rehearse or perform with this thing that isn't a person there, but who has such a presence in the play. <laughs> Tricky. When you were rehearsing a play, we were rehearsed in this room, and we had a little stereo, but it's still different than when you go into the theater and you have the whole tech team behind you. And so there's this big learning curve when you go to tech of figuring out the radio and exactly how the radio is programmed to work. And then you have the sound designer who is 
literally building a sound. So they have the announcer's voice, but then they also have a bunch of music. So they're going to put some music underneath it. And then they have to shorten it three seconds because it was a little too long. But then we do it again and they have to add another one second on. So it, it gets so technical and specific. And as actors who, I'll speak for me, have no idea how any of that works, it's amazing watching people say, oh, give, give me just a second. And a minute later, they have an entirely new cue and a new sound coming out of this radio. So it suddenly becomes alive because of the other artists who are working on it. We're going to call this the, the spoiler section. So we're going to move into some things from a part of the play that we haven't seen yet. Uh, so I'm just throwing it out there in case you want to excuse yourself or if you're OK to, to have a little bit you're going to brave it? A little bit explained okay, for you. Okay. <laughs> Can you tell us about, about your work you do to differentiate the two, the two characters you're each playing? You know, the wife and Heather for you, Kate, and, and the mistress and Violet for Amanda, where you, you have to, I know that you did a lot of work to be like, we needed to be clear that these are two completely different people, even though my face doesn't change and my costume doesn't change. I love this stuff. I mean, like that's like an actor's dream, you know? I mean, it really is. It was extra challenging because usually when you do that in the context of a play, you get to change your clothes, you get to change your, maybe even what room you're in, you get to, and we didn't have that, but it was great because um, we played with trying to use, it was more extreme in rehearsal and less so when we got closer to performance, but with the kind of heightened um, standard received pronunciation dialect of like the movies from the late 40s and early 50s for the wife and mistress and more um, contemporary sounds. Uh, something I remember thinking about when we were doing it, you know, uh, one of the questions that you find yourself asking is, I'm not, are, are the contemporary characters any more liberated or empowered than the wife and mistress? And it's not necessarily so. Um, and there is something that I found myself really being interested in as the subject of apologizing comes up. And there's a phenomenon in speech now and that has been true for at least 20 years where people, and it's mostly women, but men do it too, where when people are talking and they kind of aren't really, they might not necessarily feel entitled to what they're saying. And so everything sounds like a question. And they're going like this, and you know what I mean? And even if they're really passionate about it, it kind of backpedals a little bit so that if people don't like what they're saying, then it's okay, because I didn't really care anyway. And um, so that was something I definitely wanted to do, as Heather, especially since apologizing comes up, and these are women who are trying to speak for themselves, but they kind of don't know how to do it. <laughs> and um, um, they're not sure how it's going to go over, so it's a inherent safety net and because in a lot of ways in my opinion mistress and wife are a lot more sure of who they are than yeah Heather and Violet yeah <laughs> I mean at the end of the play I think they have a shot but I mean <laughs> um so th that was just fun and the woman who worked with us Kate DeVore kind of just nudged us in the right uh, direction with us on vocal stuff yeah and um that 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 was fun since we couldn't change any of the other stuff and you don't want to be too weird that was a a good tool Eleanor wasn't someone who grew up as a theater kid you know acting or 
doing tech or anything like that. And, and yet she's written this play that half of it is supposed to be about the realities of making theater. In what ways are those those scenes where Heather and Violet are just relating and killing time during a tech rehearsal authentic to what you've both experienced in your career? <laughs> totally. Tech is always a waiting game, always. Because it's not our time. It's the line designer's time, it's a sound designer's time to figure it out, to figure their part out, to work their magic. And during that time, we just have to wait. And that's part of the game. Sometimes when watching a, a play where where a guise is dropped, you know, there's a there's a danger for the audience, myself included, of, of, of seeing the real actors as the real Kate and Amanda. So how are you, in fact, different from Heather and Violet? I am nowhere near Violet. <laughs> I, and I talked about this in rehearsal, Violet for me was a harder jump. And that's one of the things I talked about with Kate DeVore, our vocal coach. I was like, I definitely live, my vocal life lives way more in the mistress's world. I have a low voice. I, whatever. This is how I talk. <laughs> but Violet is like, she like is a lot higher and that's really hard. I have to think about it when I'm doing it. And I don't necessarily like how it sounds, so I have to get over it. You know how when you listen to yourself, a recording of yourself, that's kind of what it's happening, but it's like live, so I have to like get over it. <laughs> so, yeah. So in this respect, when the guise is dropped, <laughs> I feel less like myself than when the guise is on. I certainly can relate. I've certainly... <laughs> Maybe less so now. My kids are a little older. I have two te teenagers now, and she just has one and then a baby, and oof. <laughs> I mean, even at this very theater, I've, I've had really sick kids at home and been, well, to be honest, kind of a mess at work, <laughs> you know, just worried and underslept, and I'm different now, but, um, but I think our working environment is a lot more friendly in general than the one the one we're play. presenting, yeah. And I'll, but that said, I also have great sympathy for the guy in the play, Jim. I like him. He's trying. <laughs> I mean, he really is. He's trying to be an ally and, you know, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to talk about Jim. And I, I've, always no, already, I've already been hilarious. like, sorry, Rom, but like, you're the secret, so we can't have you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for saying with us and thank you Kate and Amanda I know a long week and I appreciate you staying thank you Wife of a Salesman concluded its run at Writers Theatre but is moving to our co-producer Milwaukee Repertory Theatre this fall with performances beginning late September 2022 our next show Athena begins performances May 5th tickets are on sale now and you'll be hearing from some of those artists in our upcoming episodes thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time on The Green Room Thank you.